Hey good people, this is your N.I. Dom back with another reflection and this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow and have impact in the world. So hey, imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome is my starting point. Um, I want to talk about it in the traditional way um, in terms of how it's typically understood and I want to talk about it in this upside down, inverted way that has come to me in the last 24 hours. Um, there are several entrance points into this um, reflection. Um, and they, I've put them all in I, in the eye zone. I was going to call it the case of the eyes. Um, but I'm not, I don't know where, I don't know where this reflection is going to take me, but um, the the possible entrance points would be um, several interviews this week um, that have that relate to this idea of imposter syndrome, um, and some INTJ content I heard yesterday that was, for the most part, ridiculous. But um, I enjoyed it, laughing, and there were some goodies in there, all the same. <laughs> And then this morning I was just thinking about, like, trying to make sense of it all. Like, is this imposter syndrome that I'm thinking about in the last 12 hours? What part of the traditional imposter syndrome relates to me and my journey and my current state? And um, so those are three possible ways to enter into the reflection. They are all relevant, um, but obviously I can't enter in all of them at the same time. So I'm not sure I'm going to move about, but be prepared for this reflection to be uh, disjointed, which is, which is what usually happens when I'm giving birth to a new concept. I feel like that. I feel like there's something, this um, inverted upside down imposter syndrome feels really um, important for me to process. So as a result, because I've never processed it before, I'm probably going to be all over the place in this reflection. But hopefully I will either settle in some kind of meaningful construct of the inverted imposter syndrome or I'll go somewhere entirely new, right? And that's okay as well. So we'll see. Hey, if you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two theories that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm thinking about this content about the INTJ and their credentials. Oh my God, this dude was funny. And I've talked about him before, maybe one time ever. So we'll see how he comes up today. But anyway, I'm a trained and practicing um, educator and social scientist of about 30 years. Half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I lean into tenets of critical race feminism, which means I have an intellectual sensitivity of social constructs of power, such as race, class, gender, sexuality, to name a few.
This project is unedited and it is unscripted. To know more about it or me, feel free to go to my website at yournidow.wordpress.com. Before trying to get into the reflection, I want to give an update on my person. Um, I have a person, if you are new to me, I have a person in my life, a very, very close person to me, that is battling cancer. It's an aggressive form of cancer. Um, and usually it doesn't have, um, it has a, it just has a, it doesn't have a high survival rate. And that's because it's like a silent cancer too. There aren't usually indicators until when people find out they have this type of cancer is usually in stage four. So this person, uh, my person that I haven't revealed, um, uh, there's, a, you know, I don't know if I've told you the story, but there was a story in terms of um, us being able to find out sooner um, that, uh, and I could say she, she has cancer. And um, so we've been dealing with that. That diagnosis came in January and, um, and um, if you don't know, if you follow me, you don't know, I lost my dad to cancer a year and a half ago. And then I lost my grandmother to cancer five years ago. So, um, it's, you know, when we got the news in January, it was, um, you know, it's just all kinds of triggering. And, um, and if you've been following this project, each time I hit a blow like that, and I have to really wrestle what it means to be alive. Um, I have go through these, like a go through a really really dark and long tunnel trying to really understand this thing we call life and death. And, um, and it really has an impact on my dominant function, which is future seeing. Um, the grief really hits that. I've not been able to articulate it in this way, but, um, it really has an impact on my long range vision as well as my my give a blank, <laughs> my give a buck, if you will, for the long range. It usually, it takes a hit that way. So I had just gotten to a place um, from my dad passing a year and a half ago towards in December, I was starting to feel better. You can hear me talking about it in the last few episodes of December. And then for me to turn around and less than two weeks later, um, get the news of this person of mine, um, it was, it's been, it's been big. And so, and, um, the person, this person is located on the side of the family where I talk much about intergenerational trauma. Actually, I believe intergenerational trauma is indicative of both sides of my family, but I don't know my, um, my dad, my paternal side well enough to, to really get into the details of it. But my maternal side of the family, I know that very well. And I know, I've been studying the interworkings of intergenerational trauma as it yeah as it relates to family systems theory, and so there's a lot that I bring uh, to the table in this conversation, and um, I think that this situation with this person, because of how she's situated in the family, it exasperates all of that. It stirs all of it up. 
and then I'm in there, you know, and then I have my own particular journey in that structure. And so it's, it's been a lot and it's been a lot. So anyway, um, she had surgery this week. I don't think I've really given the gender to it, although I think many of you who've been following me, you, you're probably able to figure it out. But anyway, she had surgery this week and um, they removed the the mass, the tumor. And then there was another um, cyst that they had not yet tested, um, but they removed that too. <laughs> so all of that is gone. Cancer is a microscopic disease. That's what I'm learning. And by the time it forms into a mass, it's already spread. You know, it's spread in the body. And so there's a microscopic element to it. And um, and I've been, I really like that framing. And they talk about when um, the cancer comes back. And what I'm understanding is that when we, when it doesn't really come back, it never went away because it, all of the microscopic elements of it weren't, it wasn't taken care of. So it's a journey. It's a journey. And so anyway, um, that surgery was Wednesday. And I think I may have mentioned it to you all at the end of my reflection last week, like hold me up. I had some interviews this week and I had, we, there was that surgery. And so, it was really intense. My uh, sister came in, flew in, and that was intense. And um, that, um, you know, I've, I got to, I got to process. I've talked about a little. I'm not ready to get ready to get in a rabbit hole. Let me come back. Let me just say this. There's an episode I did in October. I can't think of the name of it. Um, but I talked about, um, I got a little more in depth about the, the dynamic that I have with my sister and we're very close. Um, and I'm incredibly protective of her. I mentioned in 2021 when we started having some clash, we started clashing, which was just, I don't want to get into that, but it was just noticeable that we were clashing in in January. And we, excuse me, in the spring of uh, Jan, um, 2021. And so that was scary for me because I was like, what is going on? And anyway, so I've just taken a few years to really delve deep into it. And I feel at peace knowing what it is. And uh, I'd love to be able to talk about it with her a little more, but, um, you know, she's my sister and I'm very protective of her. And so, um, and I'm, she's my little sister. And so I have been raised and I embrace it that as the big sister, I'm going to, I'm going to take the high road. I'm going to be the protector. I'm going to take care of this, us and all of that. So. So that's kind of what, um, when she comes around, all of that stirred up inside of this other, and she's from the same intergenerational trauma structure that I'm in, uh, involved in. And we're both connected to this person in a unique way. And, and we're connected to the larger family structure in a new unique way. So this week has definitely been a lot, <laughs> you know, but I feel better that we've gotten through the surgery and, 
Mm, there's some other, there's some complications happening right now. Um, but we're still pretty hopeful. And so that's the update on that part of the story. I just wanted, for those of you who have been tuning in for that, I wanted to give you that update. Okay. All right. So this imposter syndrome. And so, um, let me just tell you a little bit about how imposter syndrome is normally um, understood. It's, and actually, I'm going to read something to you because I think it'll be better if I just read it. Hold on. Okay, I'm on the website, Very Well Mind, and it says, Imposter syndrome is the internal psychological experience of feeling like a phony in some area of your life, despite any success that you have achieved in that area. You might have imposter syndrome if you find yourself consistently experiencing self-doubt, even in areas where you typically excel. Imposter syndrome may feel like restlessness and nervousness, and it may manifest as negative self-talk. Symptoms of anxiety and depression often accompany imposter syndrome. It's interesting but because this particular website goes on to talk about five types of imposter syndromes. The perfectionist, the expert, the natural genius, the soloist, and the super person. And I'm not sure if it's relevant to go into all five of those. I will say that as I read them, read those twice, and I don't really see what this, this phenomenon that I'm experiencing, I don't really see it fitting neatly into one of those. I think, um, I guess if I was going to put myself closest to one, it would be the expert. Um, and I'll read that one. The expert feels like an imposter because they don't know everything there is to know about a particular subject or topic, or they haven't mastered every step in a process. Because there's more for them to learn, they don't feel as if they've reached the rank of expert. The reason why that resonates with me is because... Um, I know when I'm not an expert on something. You guys hear me talk about that with the Myers-Briggs. I'm like, I know a lot about it. I study a lot, but I don't know. I don't identify as an expert in it. And the reason why I don't identify as an expert in the Myers-Briggs work or uh, personality theory is because I am an expert as it relates to teaching and learning. Um, I even think leadership, I can throw in that. Um, but I haven't, I got to play with that a little bit. I feel really, really strong and confident in terms of leadership, organizational leadership. Um, but I know for a fact I'm an expert as it relates to teaching and learning. And so when I'll, I always say this, when you know you're an expert in something, you know, when you're not, it doesn't mean that I'm not good at it. Um, and so I don't feel that I don't feel that um, I have to be an expert in all things, you know what I mean? And so because I don't feel like I, had a, I, don't, I don't have to be an expert, because I don't feel like I need to be an expert in all things, I don't feel like I'm having any anxiety when I'm not an expert. I don't feel anxious about that. In my, at least in terms of my understanding, I'm not a professional psychologist. So, you know, a person who is well studied in this might hear this a different way. And that's fine. But in my understanding, I'm okay with not being an expert in everything because I I feel good about the areas in which I am an expert. 
So I don't feel like that gives me anxiety. But the reason why that does resonate, that expert one does relate to me, even though I don't. Okay, so even though I don't feel like I have to be an expert in all things, this particular type of imposter syndrome does relate, um, I relate to it a little bit because of the current job that I'm in. Now, the current job that I'm in really, really utilizes my expertise in teaching and learning, in leadership, in org development. Heck, it even uses my strength in typology theory. But, so I feel very comfortable in that space. But it is a job that I have never done before. Now, again, it uses my expertise. It even uses some of my skill sets when I did customer service. You know, I did customer service for a while. Um, I've, I've done some um, training outside of teaching. I've done training. I've done presentations. Um, it uses those skills, but it's a job title and it's a job. It's an organization I've never worked in, never even seen an organization on the inside um, like this. And I'm, I'm kind of functioning in a new way. And so the, juxtap- the, the juxtaposition of being in a very new type of position that I had in an, in an organization that I really have never studied or understood. I've seen a sim- one other organization like this. Uh, my, my ex worked in an organization, I would say comparable in a different industry though. Um, but outside of that, this is a new type of organization and the ways of working are entirely new, entirely new. That while using my expertise, gives me a constant rubbing of you're an expert here, but you're not an expert. You're, you're an expert here, but you're a novice there. And a novice is a person that is just new, developing new skills. Okay. So I think that I have experienced imposter syndrome in this particular job because I got it. It was a contest. I had to compete for the position and I I got the job. And so I think about all of the people I out competed, if you will. And I think about they could have been a better fit for a particular part of the job, right? I think I won the contest because of the vastness of my skill set. You know, I have a vast uh, toolbox of expertise and 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 strengths. I really do, <laughs> and I think that allowed me to outperform in a number of areas for the job. Okay, but I think once I got into the organization and knowing the kind and working with the kind of people who are in that organization, and it's a lot of FETI up in there, right? That FETI access, you guys already know, it rubs me in a particular way. <laughs> it really does. Um, that TI becomes so technical 
And if you want to get technical in a very drilled down way, that's not me in some of these areas. Because as a TE user, I don't have to be um, highly technical in one of my skill sets to be an expert in it. I don't have to be technical. And oftentimes the technical aspect of it, as I've observed it, is you've got to follow a particular algorithm. You got to follow it a particular way. You got to do it in a certain sequence. Whatever that thing is, you got to do it in a particular sequence. You got to follow a particular order. You got to engage with a certain level, uh, the right balance, right? So there's a lot of rightness to it in and of itself. So it's not the utility of a thing. It's not the applic, it's not the effectiveness of it. It is how you do it. And so a lot of emphasis is put on how you do the thing, not the impact that the thing is supposed to have. So you do it for impact. You know, how I experience TI users, they don't do the thing for impact. They do it for the integrity of the thing, right? So if the thing says that you have to do 10 functions, that there are 10 aspects of the thing, a TI user is going to be like, you got to do all 10 of those things. And if you'd only do nine, then you're doing something wrong because you've missed one. And as a TE user, I'm not, I don't care about that. As a TE user, I'm going to pick up that thing and it's for a particular target, a particular outcome, a particular impact. And once I do that, once I get the tar impact, the thing has served its purpose. I don't linger in for the love of the thing, if you will. And I'll calibrate it. And I will calibrate the thing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I was able to use seven of the ten things of this thing. I'm using the word thing, right? I use seven elements of the thing. And man, I'm going to add another one. I'm going to add a new one here. I'm going to take out that one. I'll start modifying the thing. But I find a lot of TI users don't want you to modify the thing. There's a fidelity to the thing as it is. Okay, that was a rabbit hole, but I needed to say that because it is a pet peeve of mine. And it annoys me. <laughs> I'm sorry if you're a TI user, right? So anywho, um, why did I even go down there rabbit hole? Um, so because I don't have that fidelity to these tools that this organization uses, But I know the tools and I know how to use them. I don't have fidelity to them. I can feel like, uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh, something is off. Ooh, should I really be here in this organization? So that's been a big part of the imposter syndrome um, in that organization. And so one of the things that this particular article uh, says, when it talks, when it talks about the sim- symptoms, what does it feel like? An, Ill, an inability to realistically assess your competence and skills. That, I want to say on some level, that's not me. I can, you just heard me say I'm good here, I'm good here, I'm not good there, right? You just heard me make that assessment. So on the surface, I want to say I'm good here. But based on an interview, uh, two interviews I had this week, maybe more, um, 
I, I'm, I need to interrogate that. Am I really assessing my competence and my skills? I think this is, I can feel it. I can feel the imposter syndrome um, right there. Like there's something I need to talk about right there. I'm going to have to come back to that. Let me give you another uh, syndrome of the, another condition of the imposter syndrome, according to this article. Attributing your success to external factors. I don't struggle with that. Any success that I have, I don't say, oh, it's because. Now, I know that, um, you know, I love uh, the husband and wife team. Uh, I talk about in the personality community. One of the things they said, there was a lot when I first got introduced to them that they said I really liked. One of them talked about luck and, and success, right? That successful people, you, you can be lucky. But you, you, but what you're doing is you're playing the luck game. Cause we all have luck. Successful people play the luck game, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna position myself so that I can be lucky. It's a, I'm not saying it the way they said it, but it's, that's the essence of it. If we all can experience luck, that I'm gonna position myself to have luck. If I know that I'm gonna, uh, if I know that I need to be lucky in Arizona, then guess what I'm gonna do? I'm going to go to Arizona so that I can experience luck in Arizona. I can't, I can't be in another location in the United States and then say, well, I didn't have luck there. No, I didn't have luck because I wasn't there. So, the impo- this idea of um, um, attributing my success to an external factor, I don't fully do that because as a TE user, I'm positioning myself. I'm positioning those external conditions. Yeah, I do believe those external conditions have helped me in the organizations that I've started, in the books that I've written, in the frameworks I've developed. Right? I don't think I would have been able to do any of that without the external world. Right. However, I maneuvered that external. I maneuvered within that external world and I manipulated that external world so that I can achieve the thing. So I don't really feel an imposter syndrome there. Berating your performance. Yeah, I do that a lot because <laughs> it's never going to be good enough for me. Right. I'm always going to like, yeah, you could have done better. Right. Um. And I want to spend some time there, but I don't think I, I don't think I berate myself in this like, oh my God, I was terrible. No, just like I could have done better. Um, in one of the interviews I did this week, I don't know if this is related, but I want to share it with you, um, all the same. I started just going, actually in two of the interviews this week, I said, I'm not sure if I'm the best person for you. Like you might, and this is what I said, you, more than likely you can find a better person to do this thing. If this is what you, if you, if this thing is being interpreted in this way, then you can find other people to do a better job in this interpretation. But I take this thing and I'm interpreting it a different way. And in this way, I am the best person for this work. If that makes sense. So if this thing is being interpreted as X, I'm not the, I'm not sure. I'm not best, the best person for X. 
if it's, but I, cause I'm interpreting it's why I'm the best person for that. Now here's the challenge. I don't want to go off into the interview, interview too much because then I'll, I want to finish these uh, symptoms of the imposter syndrome, but I do want to say this about one of the interviews I was in, maybe two. And I think it does connect to this imposter syndrome. I'm saying, hey, I'm not interpreting this thing as X. You can find other people to do that better. That's not completely true. Because even if in the X interpretation, I still think I'm actually better. But I didn't feel, I didn't have a desire to convince them that I would be better at the X. And that gets to the Y interpretation. And that's because as an NI Dom, they can't see the Y. They can't. And this is, this is the, oh my God, it's, Something is coming. Something is breaking through right now in my, in my, in my NI Domness. <laughs> you can't see it. I do think I could outperform other, my competitors in the X interpretation of the job. But I don't have the desire. I'm going to go into introverted sensing, right? There's history in that interpretation and in the history of that interpretation, you've had people interpreting it and performing it in a certain way. And I don't have a desire to perform like those people historically just to prove to you I can do it better. I just don't have a desire to do that. Right. And that's because I'm functioning in the why interpretation of the thing that you can't see. You can't see it. You don't understand it's better. The best way for me to show you that the why interpretation is better is to show you. I cannot sell it to you. I cannot convince you. And guess what? I don't have the desire to try to get you to see something that I know you can't see because you don't have introverted intuition. So what I did in that, what I just said, I just said, hey, you know, if you can find somebody, if you're interpreting it this way, I'm not this, I'm not your person. And I wanted to do two things. I was doing two things when I said it. I laughed about it later. Like who goes into an interview and says, Hey, I'm not your, I'm not the best person for this. I've done that. I've done it several times now that I think about it. And I think it all is connecting to this inverted imposter syndrome that I'm, I'm wrestling with. And I haven't talked about the inverted. I haven't talked about the inverted imposter syndrome yet. All right. But I can, it's starting to bubble up. Um, I don't know if you're still listening to me, but oh well, hopefully you are. Um, where was I at? Where was I at? Where was I at? So the two things that I was doing and when I made that comment in the interview is, number one, I was freeing myself from the labor of having to convince people who um, think completely different than me. I didn't want the labor of that. I didn't want the labor of it. And the second thing is, I wanted you to know that there is another way of looking at this thing. So even if you were on the X side of the world, that if there was a part of you that is wired to, to maybe you don't understand my Y interpretation, but there's a Y part of you, if you will, then that was going to activate you. So anyway, I actually did not get that job. <laughs> 
you know, I knew that. I could feel it. And, and man, energetically, like, um, I have been, um, listening to some, um, like mysterious, uh, podcast content, like, um, mysteries, um, 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 paranoia and paranormal activity. And so I, I've been into crime shows for about a year. I don't like crime shows because they're so heavy. Like I don't like seeing the darker side of people. But one of the reasons why I delve into those crime shows is particularly where um, forensic science, because I like the science of it, right? And the investigate the investigation of using these clues and understanding that science can take science can take us on the horizon of what our current rea- understanding of reality. We understand this, but there is a a world of understanding that we haven't tapped into yet. So forensic science for me allows me to get there, right? So this particular pod, the podcast that I listen to for forensic science, I've kind of pretty much exhausted it. And I can only take so much of it because it's about crime and it's dark. And, you know, I it just, I don't like to live with that dark energy. So I was like, well, let's just go into paranoia. What am I? I'm not saying it right. Paranor, paranormal activity. And I was like, okay, let's go into that. I don't even know why I brought up the paranormal. Paranormal? Is it that? Anyways, like spirits, ghosts, the, the afterlife, right? There's a reason why I brought that up. Oh my God, I just forgot. There was a reason why I brought that up. Anyway, I forgot it. But it when it comes back to me, I'll share it with you. So, um, oh, I know why I brought it up. See, there it is. So on the day of this interview, everything, I shouldn't say everything, not everything, but a lot of things were going wrong. And I was like, like when the third thing happened, that was like my cell phone weren't, wasn't working. The computer didn't work. Like I, I moved from my, I needed to do something from my cell phone to the computer. That didn't work. Um, I lost my keys. Um, I it, there was a, there were a few things that actually happened. And after the second and the third thing that happened, I said, I I paused just briefly. I said, something's going on spiritually. Something is, I didn't say spiritually. I said, something's going on energetically. Something is happening. This is, something is happening. It's communicating. This isn't for me. I knew it. I knew it in the, at the front, at the, because it was a three hour interview. I knew at the beginning of that interview. It fairly at the, early on to that interview that it wasn't for me all because of the energy of all of these, this mishap. And then I found myself like pushed back. Like I found myself removed from the process. Like I had to make myself continue the process. And then I started getting annoyed with some of the questions that they were asking me. 
Because I was like, these questions are elementary. Come on. This, this is not even, these aren't the right, I was like, these aren't even the right questions that you should be asking me. I didn't say that out loud, by the way. Well, no, I did. I actually did say something to that effect about, um, I, I evaluated the questions. And I started coaching them. Um, and so there were people, you know, anyway, I didn't get the job. <laughs> so anyway, it's fun. It is funny. It really is funny. And when, um, so that was, that particular job was Thursday night, Thursday. And, um, uh, I drove home. I was like, Mm-mm. and then there was a, an activity that I had to do. I had to make, do an analysis and submit an al- analysis Friday morning. So I got up at five thirty to start doing it. And I just was like, that's not my job. Unfortunately, what I did was I started job searching and I shouldn't have done that. And I'll have to tell you guys later. I don't know if I'll tell you if I'll get into that today. But I should not have used that time to job search. But that's how disconnected I was from that job. And so the the analysis had to be submitted at 8 o'clock. So about 7.08, 7.10, I forced myself to, to to start writing up an analysis. And I don't do anything in an hour. I don't do any of my writings in an hour. So it was a two-pager. Um so to, I had to do the analysis, I had to write it, and then of course, you know, I had to support it and organize it and edit it, and I did it in less than an hour, um, which I was pretty proud of that analysis, by the way. It was pretty good. I'm like, I'm a pretty decent writer. <laughs> so anyway, so I submitted that, and um, and so then at the end of the day, I found out I didn't get the job. And again, I wasn't, I wasn't surprised. I mean, I knew it, and I thought that the way that the the uh the director gave me the information that the person that was in charge of the hiring process I thought that the way he gave the news to me was just really classy and dignified and spot on and so basically he said people thought I was overqualified they thought I was overqualified for the position and that's an that's that's an interesting thing that came up for me um the next, the, the, after I left that interview, cause I had to drive, it was in another city. I had to drive to get there. And as I was driving, I was thinking about the caliber of those questions. I was thinking about, um, there was somebody in the interviewing team that was at a, at a higher level in the position. I was relating more to those people than I was to the, uh, uh, to the actual position itself. And so when the when the person called and told me I didn't get the position at that, many people thought I was actually overqualified for the job and that, you know, I was talking in a way that was above, over their heads. That's what they said. And I'm like, well, that does make sense. You know, I've been studying my this thing, you know, this thing that I talk about the why interpretation of the thing. I've been studying it. And developing skills around that for a long time, you know, does it, I still think I could have done that job really well, but I get it. So with that being said, um, I want to go back to this list. So I could have berated my performance in that interview, um, but I didn't. I knew that it was off. I knew that I didn't, I knew I didn't do 
I didn't rock the house. I've been in interviews. I've left interviews going, I was about, I'm the bomb.com. <laughs> I didn't do that, but I also didn't feel like I did terrible. I just real. I just began to think this isn't a match for me. And earlier in the week, if it was this week or last week, I've had so many interviews. I don't know. I, about 15 minutes in, I told the person interviewing me, I don't think this is the match for me. I, I need more autonomy. I need more jurisdiction. Um, I, that's, so I've been doing that. So I've been on this interviewing circuit. You guys know I have to quote unquote find a job for next year. And I've been on this, uh, this like interviewing circuit and, and I'm like, no, this isn't it. Nope, this is not it. So sometimes I have the fortitude and the wherewithal to to name it before I get it, before the interview is over. No, thank you so much. You know, and it's been a great networking experience. So then I'm like connecting with these people, which is amazing. And then, but in this particular one, I wouldn't allow myself to pull out. And it was going to require me to relocate. It was going to require me to change my life a little bit. And there was a reason why I wouldn't pull out of that one. There was a reason why I said, you know what? I'm going to go through the motions. And if I get this job, this is what it means. Right? So in that way, this is where we're going to start getting into the the flip side of the imposter syndrome. like this inverted imposter syndrome. Cause, and spirit, energy had to do that for me. I had to get the rejection on that. Because had I gotten that job, I would have taken it. And I am overqualified for it. And I probably would have had a lot of consternation in the job like I have in my current job. And I'm so tired. I'm so tired of the angst that what's happening for me now is it's not enough to compete for a job and to win it. And I like that, by the way, I enjoy the competition of the job of, of the job search. I enjoy it. <laughs> so and I'm like, you, you're going to have to find a different way to satisfy that need for the competition. Like, although I don't consider myself a competitor, apparently there is something about it that I do like. You're going to have to find another way to satisfy that competitive edge that you have or appetite that you have because what you're doing is you're competing for jobs and then you get them you have a lot of consternation about within them the jobs that that had I had before so that's all about this inverted imposter syndrome that I want to get back to, um, let me just finish this list up from the traditional imposter syndrome. So what did I say? The inability to real- realistically assess your competence and skills. Number two, attributing your success to external factors. Number three, berating your performance. Number four, fear that you won't live up to expectations. Yeah, I think that does happen for me when I go after jobs that I'm overqualified for. When I compete for jobs, that aren't for me. When I compete for jobs that are not best suited for me and I win it because I'm a competitor, I win the contest, then I do fear that I'm not going to live up to their expectations because I am not fully, I am not fully what they need me to be. 
I don't know if this is making sense. Overachieving is the one, two, three, four. The fifth treat, uh, characteristic. Overachieving. Well, if I'm not going to be that, if I, if I'm really not what they want for me, I'm going to do so well that you're going to be like, well, she's good. <laughs> she's not what we wanted, but damn well, you're going to have to say she's good. I could see me doing that. I have done that in the job that I'm in now. And somebody called me out on it. The young lady that I said, we really, we, we bumped heads right early on. She asked me, was I overperforming? As a, as a result of being a black woman in a, in a uh, predominantly white organization. And I told her, I said, yeah, I'm sure that's happening. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's happening. Okay. Now what? Cause I'm not going to underperform. I'm not, and I'm not going to be mediocre. I'm just not going to do that. And I don't think, and the, the thing about it is that I don't know if I call it overachieving for the sake of overachieving. It's overachieving because I'm an achiever and I'm going to do a thing that's probably going to be more than what they um, are used to or they are expecting so that you can see me as an achiever. So I'm not going to underperform. I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to be mediocre. Mediocrity is a, a like a pet peeve of mine. So I'm not going to be mediocre. You can be mediocre if you want to. I'm not going to do that. Um, one, two, three, four, five. The sixth uh, symptom would be sabotaging your own success. Hey, did I do that in the interview? Did I sabotage it? Yeah, I guess I did. (laughs) But I don't know if that was my success. So there was another interview that I haven't gotten the rejection on. Um, I was going to say yet. I don't know. And just like this other one, if I get it, I'm going to take it. And I'm overqualified for this one too. If I can be honest. And this is the, me saying that three seconds ago was the first time I've said that to myself. It, it was hard for me to admit that I was overqualified for the, the one position from Thursday. But this particular position is higher than the one, is <laughs> at a higher level than the one I interviewed. And I'm even wondering if I'm overqualified for that. And if you're listening to me, you're probably like, you are very arrogant, young. <laughs> oh my God. You're probably saying you don't have imposter syndrome. You have narcissistic personality um, <laughs> syndrome. Yeah. There's a little bit of that too. And, you know, I talked about narcissism is, um, it's like gravity. It's not good or bad. A lot of times we take narcissism and we, we put it in the negative camp, but narcissism is really a neutral feature, right? So then you can, that's what they have what's called healthy narcissism and unhealthy narcissism. Any leader that you witness has a, a strong dose of narcissism. There's no way you would take on the risk of being a leader if you didn't have it, right? So there's that. That's funny, though. <laughs> but anywho, um, um, self-doubt. I rarely experience doubt that I can do it. I rarely experience doubt that I can do a thing. I really do. Here's where I experience doubt. Do they want me? Will I be accepted? Will I belong? 
That's the social aspect of it. I ne- I really doubt my capacity to do a thing. I doubt will I belong. Um. Yeah. Will I can? Will I have the connection? Um. That's where I experience doubt. And the last characteristic here is setting very challenging goals and feeling disappointed when you fall short. Nope. Because I have yet to set a goal that I, I feel, I feel like I failed or I didn't do it. Now, there are goals that I've set that I've not achieved, but I'm still working on it. Now, I may not be working on it all the time or I may not be working on it consistently. I may have gotten de- distracted. I may have derailed, right? But it's not over. It's not over. So I, I don't feel, I don't have that feeling. So do you understand? So most of this, this list here, the, this one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, these eight, um, attributes of imposter syndrome. I don't really feel it. I, there are aspects of it. Yes. But in all, I don't feel like that's me. So let me tell you what does feel like. Let me tell you the inverted imposter syndrome. I guess I'll start trying to close here. My, um, and I did tell you about the interview because that was one of the things I wanted to tell you. What was the other thing I wanted to say? Um, the introverted sensing I wanted to talk about. Oh, and INTJ-ness. Okay. So there, I told you there were three entrance points to the reflection. And one was the interview. All right. Um, and then there was introverted sensing and then INTJs. Okay. The inverted imposter syndrome that I that I'm 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 going to name it as that. I wonder if I looked that up. Has anybody else talked about it? Let me let me. I just got to put you guys on pause. I want to put that into Google and see what comes up. Okay, you guys. I've I've been paused for about five minutes and I've gotten distracted a little bit, which is why I shouldn't have done it. But anyway, it wasn't a lot. It wasn't a lot there, but there were, if you put it in there, you're going to find, um, you're going to find, you will find some articles. So I put it in quotes because I wanted to see it directly as inverted imposter syndrome. So there were a few things, but there was one that, that probably made the most sense. And, um, um, I'm just going to read it to you because it's short. This section, not the whole article, but a section. In academia, um, the title of the article is called Things Learned in Academia for the Good and for the Bad, for your reference. Um, in the section that he, the author is talking about inverted imposter syndrome. In academia, most people have the imposter complex. This means that deep inside, they feel like underachievers or even plain stupid. Regardless of how smart you are, there will always be someone even smarter out there. For this reason, we are told by our superiors over and over again, don't worry, you are much better than you think you are. This phrase stuck with me. Now, whenever I fear doing something new, I tell them, myself that from an objective standpoint the chances of succeeding are probably higher than it appears to me and so I really like that um, um, it makes me think about the mirror on the side of the car I said this objects may appear larger than they seem or something the distortion of it of the of the image can be distracting and so um, I really like this idea of saying, wait a minute. And that's kind of what I said earlier. If you put yourself in a position to be lucky, then you're going to be lucky. 
You understand? Like, if you need to have luck in a particular area, then you're going to have to put yourself and start activating um, the probability of further luck to occur. You're just not going to be lucky having your butt sitting on a sofa somewhere. So that's kind of what I, I hear with this author I'm talking about. You know, um, if you find something that's difficult, do it anyway, because the chances are greater that you're going to be success just by doing it. Just by doing it, you increase the prob- the chances of success. I love that. I love that. Um, but it doesn't get to what I was going to say about <laughs> imposter syndrome. Um, um, and I think what this person is saying is that we are, we're smarter than we are. Um, I guess, I don't know. That's not my theory. I think what I'm contending with is not having a sense of self. I think this is where I, I'm going to start trying to close. Not having a strong sense of self. And that takes me into t- the other two talking points that I wanted to share with you all in this conversation. Introverted sensing, S-I, and INTJ-ness. By the way, if you are new and you heard me talking earlier about T-I and T-E, T-I is introverted thinking and T is extroverted thinking. These are the cognitive functions. There are eight of them in the Myers-Briggs world, by the way. Or, excuse me, uh, it's not just Myers-Briggs. But I don't know if Carl Jung really said there were eight cognitive functions. I don't know. But anyway, that's something I don't know. I don't think Carl Jung said there were eight But I know that there are eight in the Myers-Briggs, but the Myers-Briggs theory only uses four of them to define the personality. And then there's this other dude, I think John Beebe, I think he uses all eight. Anyway, I should do some study on that, y'all. I'll study that. See, I told you I'm not an expert in that area. But anyway, um. As an INTJ, remember I told you I listened to some ridiculous INTJ content yesterday. And so this guy, and I've referenced him before, I'm going to give you his name, C.S. Joseph. And I actually have subscribed to his podcast and I've only listened to a few episodes, but I've only referenced him one time. And he talked about, he gave, I learned the word iconoclastic, I think, through him. Iconoclastic, which is like being gifted. And he was really hard on INTJ women. In the um, in the episode I listened to, and I it made me come and do a reflection about it. I don't remember what I said, but I remember dude was I was like, yo, and in my mind when I listened to that, I was like, some woman has heard him, some INTJ woman probably has heard this man, and this is why he is all in his feelings about INTJ women because he didn't he, he was kind of low key like throwing jabs at us right okay that's been about a year and a half ago so yesterday i stumbled on some new content of his and so uh, on youtube so i was watching him and he was just talking about intjs in general and he just had a list of negative things to say i mean he was talking about intjs in a fairly disparaging way I was like dude what is up with him it was so obvious it was funny to me like i was walking around getting ready to do something I was multitasking and I had a big smile on my face like I have a smile on my face now I'm like dude 
and it, it, he almost sounded jealous. Like he was jealous of the INTJ. And so he was like putting us down and um, like, we're not all that. Just do it. It was just, and so I said, I was going to go back and listen to it just to pull. I want to objectively pull out the words that he was using. Cause I don't want anybody saying I was just interpreting that. Like he literally was using words um, um, that were more deficit that would put the INTJ through a deficit lens lens more derogatory towards my DJ and I'm like what is this problem <laughs> like and it was funny I couldn't even take offense to it because he just sounded like somebody that was jealous of the INTJ's gifts so then I said well I don't follow him enough so he might be like that might just be his personality and he might do all the personalities like that um so I don't really want to judge him in that way but anyway so, and he says some, he says some things, accurate things about the INTJ, but like I said, he said it through a deficit lens, right? Um, yeah. So anyway, I wish I, I said, and I'm probably going to do a, some, a YouTube content response. I'm going to do a YouTube response to that. Um, I want to do a YouTube response to him. It was just too, it's too funny, too delicious to ignore that. Um, but anyway, some of the things that he said that really resonated with me, particularly as it, as it relates to this inverted imposter syndrome that I'm talking about, is that INTJs can do anything. We can do anything we set out to do. And the other guy I listened to on YouTube that I just started listening to, I think his name is John. And he said that too. That's why it's hard sometimes to type an INTJ. Because we can, if we study an environment and we know the environment requires a certain type of affect, a certain type of performance, we will do that to be effective in that environment. That is so spot on in my opinion. And so because of that because I have been in an industry and I've studied my industry and I know how you have to perform in that industry. I'm not going to say I do it perfectly. I don't say I do that performance perfectly, but I can perform it. And because there's probably nothing I can't do, right? I'm double negative, but I can really do anything I set up my mind to do. The challenge with me is going to be, do I feel like putting forth the work to master the thing? Is it worth me mastering that? But if I want to master it, I'm fairly confident that I can. I really am. I don't mean to sound like arrogant. I'm fairly confident I can master anything I set my mind to do. The question is, do, is it worth it for me? And that's where that uh, introverted feeling, tertiary feeling um, in our stack, that's how it resonates for me. Is that worth it? Does that assign, align to my values and all of that? And it also connects to my, that, that NI Dom hero me. Is it where I'm trying to go in the world? Okay. So, um, one of the things I said in, uh, in the interviews, both the interviews that I had this weekend, again, I've had about six of them in a like two week span, you all, and they've been intense because <laughs> they've not been like one interview. So I'm not saying six interviews. Because I've had more. Because in some of the organizations, I've met with them more than once. So I've just been interviewing a lot. But anyway, um, this week I started saying, I'm an introvert. I 
I said that in an interview, in two interviews this week. I said, I want to tell you, I'm an introvert. I perform extroversion. I perform it. Most days I can perform it well. But if you know me, you, and this is why, this is, oh my God, I'm actually really proud of myself here. I'm not where I really need to be in terms of this inverted imposter syndrome, but I'm getting better. I'm getting out of it slowly but surely. Because I learned this a long time ago when I was in college. When you meet me, I can be, I can be charismatic. Um, um, I can be animated and you're like, Oh, and then you bring me on board to do a thing. And then you go, Oh, where did that energy go? (laughs) That energy that you had, I was selected based on that energy and I can't, I can't keep that energy up. I can't. Um, and so the job I have now, I remember telling my boss and my coworker right away. I said, I just want to let you know that there's more to me than the person you saw on the interview. Uh, because in that interview, I was competing. You saw the competitor. Ener- that energy on me was a competitive energy. But the real energy is not that. And so um, I had a, uh, I, I was, I talked to the wife from the husband and wife team. I've talked to her a couple of times on the phone. And actually we did a Zoom call once. So I had a chance to see her in person. And one time she said, and I've not talked to her a lot, like maybe three, maybe three times. Um, all entirely. And so uh, I don't even know if she would remember me, but, uh, but anyway, she, I remember her. And so she said, um, she said, you have a, there's a different, there's a distinct energy on you. She, and she didn't really go into it. And I always interpreted that to mean that she possibly was wondering, was I really an INTJ or what she said was, I've learned to adapt. I've learned to perform. And she's right. And that's true. I have as an educator, I have to sell a vision. I have to sell learning. Right. And so I have to engage people. I talk for a living. And so that's where that energy comes from. That's what I think. But anyway, so I'm competing for these jobs and I get it. But you get, you hire me because of that extroverted energy I'm conveying. And I want you to know that's not, that's not me (laughs) for the long haul. I can go into a pocket where I can do that. And so I'm really proud of myself that that's what I started doing in the interviews this week. I started just naming that thing because that's a horrible thing to get a job based on a a performance that you cannot keep up. So I said, I'm really an introvert. You're get, I'm performing extroversion right now. I just need you to know that. And as I get closer to you and I get comfortable with you, I start becoming more introverted and observing more and there, and looking for deeper connections. So I'm really proud that I did that. But anyway, as I try to wrap up here, um, I think the um, inverted imposter syndrome for me is that I don't know when I'm impostering, if you will. I don't know it. Because if I can, you know, if we. um, Okay, so I think the inverted imposter syndrome, I'm trying to name it. So if regular imposter syndrome is when you say, I'm not really good enough, 
I'm saying inverted posture syndrome, like imposter syndrome is like, I am good. I'm good here. I'm good here. I'm good here. I'm good here. Well, if I'm good in these places, I might think I belong there. But there it is. But just because you're good in a place doesn't mean you belong there. And it, unfortunately for me, it takes somebody else telling me you don't belong here. Because I'm measuring belonging by being good at a thing. Particularly as it relates to a job. Well, I can do that. And I can do it well. So, okay, I guess I'm supposed to do it. So, I think that's where the INTJ piece is relevant for this inverted imposter syndrome. Because if I judge my my sense of uh, direction... And I say belonging as it relates to not feeling belonging, although there, there, there's that. But I'm talking about purpose belonging. And purpose is connected to my NI dominance, my introverted intuition. If I align, if I'm, if an indicator of purpose is doing good in a thing, mastery, proficiency, then I'm going to be confused. Because there are going to be a lot of things that I can do well. If I align my purpose with effectiveness, I'm going to be in trouble. And I think that's the imposter, inverted imposter syndrome for me. Whereas other people say they're not good enough. That's not the imposter for me. The imposter is I'm good here. So that means I'm supposed to be here. Whereas the Regular imposter syndrome is I'm not really supposed to be here because I'm not, and they're going to know I'm not, uh, I'm not supposed to be here. There it is. The regular imposter syndrome is I'm not supposed to be here. And the inverted imposter syndrome is I'm supposed to be here. You guys, I did it. I did it. I didn't think I was going to be able to pull it out. That's it. That is it right there. The regular imposter syndrome is, I'm not supposed to be here, and they're going to find out I'm not good enough, and they're going to know I'm not supposed to be here. And the inverted imposter syndrome is, um, I just lost it. I'm supposed to be here because I'm good here. I'm good. I can do a good job. So I can do a good job. I'm supposed to be here. No, you're not. No, you're not. That is so good. That is so good. <laughs> I'm so excited. That is so what I'm dealing with. I did it. I didn't think I was going to be able to pull it out. I didn't think I was going to be able to do it, you guys. You guys heard me put, you heard, you witnessed me putting that concept together in real time. I literally did that right in front of you. Um, so I think I'm ready to close. Um, I'm going to say one thing about introverted sensing. Um, I, I think this is another piece that's complicated my in, inverted imposter uh, syndrome because my my models, my role models mostly have um, uh, introverted sensing in their stack. So my role models use introverted sensing and I value it. I value a lot of the things introverted sensing values. And so, you know, introverted sensing is a the demon function for me because it's at the bottom of my, like, it's not in at the bottom of my preferred stack. It's at the bottom of my shadow stack. So it often feels like I'm being haunted. 
Um, I, it's a nagging. It's annoying. So I don't value that feeling. I don't value it, but there are aspects of introvert, uh, of that type of orientation. Um, so stability, right? Security. Those are associated with, that's associated with introverted sensing. And I think that that's because that those are the values of my culture. It's a value, the value of my family. And I think being um, African American, coming from a, uh, a lineage of enslavement and safety was a question. I think that that is a value that has been culturally passed down, which is why you can't type people on cognitive functions alone. Right. So, um, I think that when you take when you couple the fact that I can do anything well, and then you, you factor in security and safety, then I, I put myself in places where I don't really belong. But I belong all the same because they're, it's giving me something. That's interesting. So anyway, I do want to tell you where I, I have landed. Um, you guys know that I've been talking about leadership, money, and spirituality. I'm still in the pocket of that. So I, I didn't talk about it today. <laughs> um, but it is something that is, it's still with me and it's resonating with me and it's helping me to make better choices in terms of moving forward. I'm almost at a place. I'm almost at a place where I'm not going to do, um, any more job searching in my industry. So I'm a, I'm at a place where I'm going to fully move back into entrepreneurship in my industry. I'm about 80% there. The only, I'm about 80% there. The thing that's holding me back is that one position that I told you that I, I haven't yet, um, I have not yet received the rejection on. Uh, that's a position that I really would love to have under my belt for for a number of reasons for bragging rights for on my portfolio to be able to say I did it um but it would it would pose a conflict it would present a conflict but the INTJ me says we'll work it out if you get the position I'll take it um so we'll I'll keep you on stand I'm going to keep you updated on that one I have advanced I'm in the top 5 running for that position um out of no, you know, I know the other one, I made it to the top three. They had 36 applicants. I made it to the top three for this one. I don't, I know it was over 30. Um, and I'm in the top five. And so we'll see what happens. But, um, this, this in, inverted imposter syndrome has really challenged me to question why I have been doing it and what do I need to do to get out of it? Um, I will tell you that I've had so much angst. So much stress from these jobs in the last two years, really five years, but the last two years have been incredibly difficult because they've been in leadership. So while I'm closer, right, I've gotten back into the realm of leadership, which is where I fundamentally need to be. I can't lead inside in somebody's ex interpretation of a thing. I have to be able to lead with the Y interpretation through the NI interpretation. I Here it is. Here it is. I cannot do introverted sensing leadership. I cannot do SI leadership. 
I just cannot. I'm an NI leader. Oh my God, I feel like crying on this one. This is such a breakthrough. So while I have been fighting my way to get back to leadership, and I knew it, right? You guys have heard me talking about it. I was in the wrong lane, in the wrong lane for leadership. And the only way I'm going to get into NI leadership is that I have to get back into entrepreneurship. And I don't see myself as an entrepreneur. I really don't. But um, in order for me to do my NI leadership, I'm going to have to. So um, there are iterations of my entrepreneurship in the past that I've never given up on. I've parked it. And so there's some new NI leadership that I'd like to interplay around with, around coaching. Um, I really do want to coach people, particularly I'd love to coach other NI doms in terms of helping them to be, um, to help them to maximize their potential. Um, so there's that I want to do. That's new. That's a, a new system that I would have to put together for myself. That's something I really, really want to do soon, you guys. So just so you know, I've even been thinking about how do I... Do I take your NI Dom project and fold it into the new or do I um or do I build a new structure for it? So just keep your pay attention to that. So that's the new. But there are some other uh NI Dom leadership projects that I've done that I haven't finished that I'm dusting off. And um I feel pretty confident about it. Um and so I'll have to work. Um you know, until I get those, uh, until I get the revenue coming in for the, the, and so I'm, I have, uh, I'm going to work outside of my industry. I won't tell you now I have a plan. <laughs> I've got a plan, you know, and it's, I've been planning, I've been planning, I've been planning, I've been planning. And so I'm really, I feel really good. And so on some levels, I am nervous if I get offered that position, um, and then on some levels, I'm nervous if I, I'll, if I don't get it. And so it's okay. I'm going to keep talking about it. So I'm going to end it here just because I feel really good about two things. I've, uh, I've named, I've coined the inverted intru, uh, imposter syndrome for me at least. And then I've delineated between NI leadership and SI leadership. And those are two things I need to take away from this daily, um, my weekly reflection that I'm doing out loud with you all. You guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. If um, my moving about and talking about the imposter syndrome and interviewing and belonging and being good and gifted and <laughs> narcissistic, <laughs> um, if any of this uh, relates to a conversation you had in the world, please take this link and share it with those participants. If my moving about has caused some randomness in you, I would love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yourandidom.wordpress.com, on Twitter, yourandidom1, on Facebook and YouTube, yourandidom. Let me give you your assignment. Oh, I got a tough assignment for you today. It's not like provocative and necessarily profound, but I'm going to give you two um, uh, questions that are going to conflict with each other. So I want you to think about the traditional imposter syndrome and uh, think about a place, a time when you really struggle to believe you belong uh, in a particular world. 
you struggled with having the identity that you belong there, that you could do the job. And, um, and think about, even if you don't belong there, being there is going to help you develop the skills to strengthen the skills so that you do belong, right? So, you know, think about if you've been avoiding doing a thing because you don't believe you can do it, I'm going to encourage you to do it anyway, because that's going to increase your, the probability of, that you will be successful. You know, if nothing else, you're going to develop the skills. So just do it already. Damn it. Just do the damn thing. Right. So think about something that you've not been doing because you are, you don't believe it's you. You don't believe you belong in there. You don't in that position. You don't believe you can do it. I'm saying identify it and then do it. Okay. Do it. <laughs> and then if those of you who are struggling with the inverted imposter syndrome like me, you're not struggling with feeling confident that you can do a thing because you can do a thing. And then so as a result, it has you in the wrong place. <laughs> I don't even know. What, I don't even know what to tell you. to. I can't push you on that because I have no idea. I got to figure this out for myself because I've not only done this with work, I've done this in relationships. Right. Like, well, I can do it. I can deal with it. And some of that comes from trauma, too. Um, I, I would love to make the connect the trauma connection, but we'll do that in an, uh, another day. But um, if you are doing dealing with the inverted syndrome and you are uh, in a place because you're doing it well, what else? Okay, here it is. What else constitutes belonging beyond being good at a thing? Beyond your skill set? Beyond your gifts. There's got to be a more than one. You've Being in a thing should require more than skill. There's got to be achievement. There's got to be, there's got to be more to being in that role than just achieving in it. And what would be the more for you? And for me, and I did this a long time ago, I said, I need freedom, autonomy, and creativity. That's the more for me. And I just answered my own question so I can stop, you know, like, what am I, how do I make decisions moving forward? It's got to be more than just, I can do it well. It's got to be more for that for me. It also has to be, like I said, for me, freedom, autonomy. And and I have studied freedom and autonomy because I know they overlap a lot. But for me, they're different. Freedom, autonomy, and creativity. And so, yeah, this has been a really good reflection for me. I hope it's been for you. <laughs> anyway, I hope you, uh, it'd be interesting to see which, which version of that assignment you would do. But your assignments are not for me. They are for you. You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you until I come back. Be well. Bye.